We come to God's holy word this morning, trusting that the Spirit is going to be at work in us as we hear it. So let us pray to ask God to illumine our hearts and open our minds to his word. Triune God, grant us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power that is at work in us. It is through Christ our Lord that we pray. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles as we continue through our Old Testament reading of Scripture in the book of Amos. We'll be reading from chapter 4 and reading verses 6 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and a lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water but not, did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet you were like a burning stick snatched from the fire. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. He who forms the mountains creates the winds and reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. We now continue through our psalm in psalm, uh, psalm responsive readings in Psalm 119. Today we read responsively verses 41 through 48. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your promise. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Our New Testament passage for this morning continues our journey through the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 3. Today we will be reading verses 14 through 21. A prayer by the Apostle Paul for the church in Ephesus, Ephesus and for the church as a whole. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, 
may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Amen. It is important to have a strong foundation. Without it, something can easily be moved. A strong foundation means that when storms come, you remain where you are supposed to be. A strong foundation gives you a confidence that despite what comes your way, you are safe, you are secure, and you cannot be moved. This past week, when the winds came up, you were concerned about being out in the cold. Nobody wants to be out in that cold. But you weren't concerned with your home blowing away because you knew that when you were inside, you were someplace that had a good foundation. It could not be moved. You were safe. You were secure because you had a foundation that would stand. And as we've been moving through the book of Ephesians, we've seen this foundation that we talk about. It is in Christ, and we have seen some very specific themes emerging from this letter. Those who are in Christ, we've learned that they've been saved by the mercy and grace of God, and because of the divisions that exist in the world, there's division amongst people, but those things don't exist in the church because we are united in Christ. We are one in Jesus. The dividing walls between us have been torn down in him. And this shows us the love of God for his people. He not only saves us, but he unites us together. And this love that we are to have is rooted. It's rooted in how God loves us. It is what is to inform us of how we understand God and how we understand ourselves. It's definitional. It helps us know how to live. This is our foundation. And as we come to verse 14 of chapter 3 today, we see a continuation of a prayer that Paul began earlier on in this book. As he's writing this book under house arrest in Rome, he has a deep desire for the spiritual growth and development of the believers in Ephesus. As I've been studying and ruminating in this passage this past week, my thought as I studied through it was, this would be a fantastic prayer to memorize and to pray for our congregation on a daily basis. And I say this because let's think about the context of Paul's prayer here. Like I said before, he's writing while under house arrest. And yet his focus is on the lives of these believers. And it shows us that regardless of the circumstances, God is to be praised. And the fellowship that we have with God and with one another transcends anything that we encounter in our lives. My letter from prison would probably be, 
I miss my family. I miss my freedom. Let's figure out some fancy schmancy lawyer who can get me out of here. That would be my letter. But the focus we see here in Ephesians is this prayer for others. And then, then it ends, of all things, with one of the most powerful praises of God in all of Scripture. A soaring praise to the glory of God. Honestly, I, I don't know if I'd be capable of something like this on my best day. But here is Paul under house arrest. We get this letter from a man who's imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. And the perspective this is able to give us as believers is astounding and something that we should deeply take to heart in our lives. And so our arrival in verse 14 has an interesting statement about what Paul is doing. Here we see that Paul kneels before the Father. Now it's common for us to associate the idea of kneeling with prayer because we don't really kneel before anything or anyone in our culture. It's not something we do. In our minds, really, for the most part, kneeling is for prayer. But the usual Jewish and early Christian posture for praying was that they would stand. And so what Paul is expressing to us is more, that, is more of how he is coming before God in prayer. He is giving us an insight into what his prayers are doing because in their culture, Kneeling would have suggested, suggested an attitude of worship, an attitude of adoration and submission, like kneeling before a king or a Caesar. And so this prayer is acknowledging who God is and what Paul is doing as he kneels. And he has this attitude of submission and this attitude of praise because he is the one, God is the one who gives identity to his people. God is the one who names his own, as we see here, as his family. And that is a huge part of why Paul bends the knee to God. God is sovereign. We don't put ourselves into God's family. That's not how it works. He puts us in his family. He's the one who brings us in. He makes us his own. And so we praise him and we acknowledge what he's done for us. And we can't miss the wordplay that's going on in this, this first sentence. He refers to God the Father. And then what does he call those that have been brought to faith? What does he call those who God has made his own? He calls them family. God the Father makes a family. And that isn't an accident or a randomly chosen word here. We kneel before God. Because he saved us and made us his own. But God is not just a random king we bow before because he has more power than us or because he could crush us if we don't. We also bow before him because he's our father. And we know he loves us and because he's made us his family. Now, if you've ever had the opportunity to meet someone famous, you usually tell that story, right? In my life, I... They're pretty small incidents, but I met Terry Bradshaw once at a feed convention that my uncle was a part of. And then I also ended up sitting in a restaurant in Cincinnati to the Christian band Thousand Foot Crutch. That's all I got. I'm sure some of you have met somebody more famous than that, but those are my stories. And yet if it ever comes up that somebody likes the football player or likes the band, I tell them this story. That's what we do. Right? We let people know who we know. Now imagine if you're related to somebody famous. 
everybody would know that you are the person who's related to so-and-so, right? That's an important reminder for us. We are God's family. We should be telling people that we're a part of God's family. They should know this about our story. The idea here is that we should feel and think about God as our Father. We refer to God as Father all the time, and we have to make sure that we don't ever lose the excitement and the intimacy that is implied with that title we give to God. Almighty God, King of the universe, we call him Father. He's not distant. He's not some unapproachable, mighty being in the sky. He's our Father, and he loves us, and we have been brought near to him because of the work of Jesus Christ. And this is meant to be something substantial for us. This continues with the idea that God will strengthen us through his spirit in your inner being as we see in this passage. We see that God is close. He's close. His spirit is within us and indwells us and it's there for a purpose. It's to strengthen us with power and it all comes from the bank of his glorious riches. In other words, our good Father has great richness to give us, and He bestows this on us through His Spirit. Not the monetary wealth that our human flesh would desire, but a wealth, a wealth of God's love and growth in Him through the Spirit. And it's important that we see here this idea of the Spirit being in us and strengthening us. Paul does not expect Christians to grow and experience the richness of God's grace on their own. He expects, he knows, God will bless his children through the Spirit. And we think that our spiritual growth is on us, but as we come to God's Word, we see that God works in us through his Word and through the Spirit. In other words, God does not abandon his people once they are brought to faith and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. He is still with us. He works in his people to conform them to the image of the Son. It's what he does, and he does it out of love for you because he's a good father, and we're his family. And Paul shows us what the effect of this is, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now here in this passage, look at what we've seen so far. We've seen all three persons of the Holy Trinity, all three persons of the Godhead present and at work for us. God makes us his family and he bestows on us his bountiful blessings. And this happens through the Spirit for the purpose that God, through Christ, may dwell in our hearts by faith. And this prayer shows us the degree to which God is at work in us. The triune God works all things together and is at work in us to make us holy and he dwells in our hearts. And that is a significant word dwell. In the original language, there's two words that the New Testament translates as dwell, and one means to inhabit or to move in, but the other one, the other one means to settle down and to make a permanent dwelling, to move in and not go anywhere, and that's the word that is used here. The prayer for believers is that believers would understand that Jesus has set up a permanent dwelling in them. He is at home in us, and he's not going to leave. He's going to stay. He is with us. 
As he says after giving the Great Commission, I will never leave you or forsake you. And as we see that permanence that Paul is talking about here, he prays that believers would be established and rooted in love. And this is not the -the run-of-the-mill happy feelings for one another love that that we're used to. This is agape love. It's an all-encompassing love that is sacrificial, and it isn't self-serving. It isn't selfish. It's modeled for us in the love that God has for this family of his. And we know what that looks like. We know what the love of God is because he showed us this love at the cross. The love of God is for sinners. At the cross, the price was paid for sin and it satisfied the wrath of God. And that loving and gracious act is how we are made God's family. It's how we are united to Christ. And it's how we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has love for us. And that is the love that we're to be rooted in, that we're to be established in, that is our foundation. A love that comes from the fact that God has first loved us in Jesus Christ. It's our foundation. It's not movable. My love, my love fails every day. It isn't anything that you would want to tether yourself to in a storm. But the love of God, it goes down deep. It's foundational. It is a storm shelter that is immovable. And we see just how deeply it goes down because Paul uses imagery here that we can understand. He says that he wants us to experience this love. And it's with the power. It's a power that is experienced by all the saints. Remember, when he uses the word saints, he isn't speaking of dead people we think are holier than others, and so we revere them or look up to them. The word saint here means holy one or those who have been set apart, and so anyone who is in Christ is a saint because we have received the perfect righteousness of Jesus, and we have been set apart as holy and righteous in him, so it's us that this prayer is for. It's us that is experiencing this. And we see that this prayer here is for every believer that we might be able to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Jesus Christ is for us. That is imagery that we can understand. We get measuring a building. We get seeing how much square footage it takes up. But we're to see that the love of God is so much bigger and greater than we can imagine. It's designed to push on the edges so that we realize just how great and awesome God's love is. It reminds me, when you talk with a young child about how much they love you, they might say, Grandma, I love you seven. Because that might be the biggest number they know. That's how they're expressing this love that they have for their grandparent. Or maybe they might say that they love you this much and they stretch out their arms. Or maybe they say, I love you as big as the moon because that's what they can understand. Those are the biggest things they can imagine. We can't fully fathom the love of God. And so any idea we have of it might be like the way a child might speak of it. But we can grow in an understanding of it. From hearing the word and the work of the Spirit in us, we grow to understand the width and the breadth and the depth of God's love. And it expands in our understanding 
of this love as God works in us because we see how much he loves us in Christ. And this prayer of Paul's asks that believers might be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. And again, this is something that surpasses our knowledge. But as long as we have breath, we can believe that God is still at work in us to refine us, to grow us in holiness. He will do what he does in us. And at times, it may seem like our being filled to the fullness, like it talks about here, is taking too long. But we must remain diligent to be under the word of God and to have a full trust that the Spirit is at work in us. And we see that the conclusion to this prayer trust that God will do just what he's promised to do. The last part of this prayer is often used, though, by false teachers, false teachers of the prosperity gospel, to say that all we need to do is to trust God and he can fill our bank accounts or he can get us that promotion we want at work. But this is not what these verses are telling us. And this is an excellent example of why we need to make sure we understand the Bible in context, because what we've seen in this passage has nothing to do with the number of digits in our bank accounts. Great effort was spent by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to tell us about the love God has for us and how all three persons of the Godhead are at work in us to sanctify us and to fill us with the full measure of the fullness of God. Remember, Paul is writing under house arrest And he sees persecution as a blessing from God. To think that these verses are about me getting wealthy or reaching my personal goals isn't the point. The point being made here is that our human minds can't fathom that God would reconcile us to himself in Christ. We think we need to earn our merit before God. But Paul lets us know that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, that, that, my friends, is immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And we see our growing in holiness is something that we have to do on our own. But God, the Spirit, is at work in us, and through the Word is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And that is immeasurably more than we can imagine. And we separate ourselves from others because of all the worldly things that divide. But the blood of Jesus reconciles people to God and not only saves them personally, but brings them into a family, into a body of believers. That is immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And God is doing so much more than we can fathom in us. He is working in us and will continue to work in us until we breathe our last. And that power at work in us brings all honor, glory, and praise to God alone in the church and throughout all generations. All I can say to that is, wow, wow, this love of God is truly immeasurable. And we grow an understanding of its depth as he is at work in us. And this prayer was a blessing for the church in Ephesus, but we see here that Paul includes us in this prayer, right? It brings glory in the church through all generations. That's us. That's you. And while I really like the comfort of modern life and having money and conveniences, 
This is so much better. To know that we have family, to know that we have Christ. God isn't about blessing us with those things. It's about blessing us in him, what we have in Christ. The promise of the gospel is to root, is to what we are to be rooted in as believers. That's the love that is in work in us, and it's immeasurably more than we can imagine. And one mistake that we so easily can make is to think that this gospel of Jesus Christ is for saving us, and then we move, need to move on to something else to grow in holiness. But we see here that this is our foundation. This is what grounds us. It's the love that God has for us that causes us to actually understand the immeasurable dimensions of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And so what does this look like for you? To be rooted and grounded in love is to look to the cross and see what a blessing from God that is. It is a way in which God stoops to us and helps us to understand what he's done for us and how much he loves us. We look to the cross and understand that the blood that was shed there makes us right with God and that the wrath of God for our sin was satisfied by God himself. But there's other tangible ways that we can root and ground ourselves in this love of God so we can see that it's immeasurable. When we touch water, we can be, rem be reminded that it washes clean, and so we look to our baptism as a sign and the seal of God's promise to wash away our sins because of the work of Jesus for us. And when we take the bread here and we take the fruit of the vine, we're reminded that as surely as those elements touch our lips, so surely was the body of Jesus broken for me and his blood was poured out for me. And you can be certain that as you hear the word of God proclaimed to you, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Even if today things haven't gone as you planned, or you've been distracted by something here this morning, the word of God has still gone forth and you've heard it. You've heard that Christ died for you. The gospel has reached your ears today. Whether it was in the elements of the service or in the scripture readings or from my lips right now, you've heard it. And God, the Holy Spirit, is at work in you to make you holy. That's what it means to be rooted and established in God's love. To trust that this news, this announcement of his salvation will work in you to make you holy, but also to cause you to leave here to love and serve your neighbor to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. So remember, he is able to do so much more than you can ask and, and imagine. And so believe, believe right here and right now that God is at work in you and he will complete this work in you to the glory of his holy name now and throughout your life and in the church through all generations. Amen.